it's just a whole nother realm of existence up there. The weather's completely different. The air is, is thinner. The, the animals, the plants, everything is different. It feels like you enter this other realm, really. And so it was always very intimidating because it was a pretty intense monsoon season. Episode 376, Mason Gravely stops by to give us the updates on his Tour de 14ers bike and climb. This episode is sponsored in part by Kennedy Pet Food. You know your dog is the best part of your adventure, and a great way to keep him happy and healthy is by feeding him the best pet food. That's why you need to check out Kennedy Pet Food. Kennedy is an independent and family-owned pet food company who uses the same care and the same quality ingredients they want for their own pets when making their pet foods. Check out Kennedy.com slash podcast. You're listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180 Tech. We talk with adventurers from around the globe to bring you the inspiration and motivation you need to get started in the outdoors or to keep you moving if you're already there. Hey everyone, I have Mason Gravely with us today, and Mason was on the show last summer. We aired him on July 3rd, episode 284, and that was one of my favorite episodes. Mason, you came on the show and told us how you got into distance biking and here's some stats for you so you know who we're talking to. Uh, Mason has done the 540-mile Colorado Trail Race, as well as the 2,700-mile Tour Divide. He's pedaled over 20,000 miles across the U.S. six different times. And uh, he was getting ready to do what he called the Tour de 14ers in August when we talked to him last time. And that's part of the reason why we're going to have him back on. The goal was to bike between the 14ers and summit them all. And uh, I'll let him go into the details of how that went. But we're here today to talk about that. Also, he has a great new company called Camp Crate. We're going to let you know what that is a little bit, too. And we're going to talk about what it's like to try to build a business around your passion. So, Mason, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me, Kurt. Yeah, man, it was so much fun to interview you last time. I, uh, I got a kick out of your story, especially about the first big bicycle trip. And I would, <laughs> yeah. you know, I want all of our listeners to go back to episode 284 because there's so much in there that we're not going to cover today. But you got to tell us about that first big trip one more time just to give us the, the context. <laughs> oh, man, no, no problem. I was actually talking to an elementary school class last week and uh, got to go over got to go over from that perspective and uh yeah it really brought out the kid in me again about that about that first trip and uh, i'm actually looking at the bike right now um i had it set up to take into the class but uh yeah when when i was in college um i was 20 years old uh i was about halfway through my sophomore year and my roommate and i just got this itch to do something crazy um but we didn't know what to do, and we wanted to do it for something something bigger than us. And uh, I had just gone to Africa the summer before, so I said, well, let's do something to raise money for this organization who was uh, building an orphanage. And we looked at the map on the wall, and we were just, my buddy Paul and I, we were just talking, and he said, let's just get bicycles and fly one way to Alaska to Fairbanks and then ride our bikes all the way back home, which was Florida. So it was, (laughs) to us, it was just crazy. We didn't know people even traveled by bicycle. We thought it was, you know, a novel idea that we had come up with. We were pretty naive. And um, yeah, that's exactly what we did with uh, about 500 bucks a piece in our pocket and uh, a lot of willpower and very little preparedness, to be honest. 
and it was an adventure to say the least. <laughs> Glad it went exactly the way it did, but uh, I, I'm kind of I, I buy a lot of gear now for for Camp Crate, the company I started with my other friend. And thinking back to what we had to do that first trip, I feel like a complete moron now. <laughs> and I realize why people older than us had the reaction they did when we told them what we were going to do, knowing we knew nothing about what we were about to do. <laughs> Isn't that the joy of it, though? <laughs> the joy, yeah, the excitement, the, 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 that, all of it. Yeah, it was, it was adventure. I realize part of the definition of adventure is not quite being ready for what you're about to do. Oh, yeah. That, and that's really what it's about. And you know what's funny? You said it right there that we didn't even know that traveling by bicycle was a thing that people did. We thought it was a novel idea. Well, it was novel to you, <laughs> right? Yeah. It, it doesn't yeah. matter how many people have done something similar before. When it's your first time, that's what it's about. It's about you doing yeah. it the first time. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's how yeah. we learn. Absolutely. And honestly, um, I remember telling my mother what I was going to do. I was in the library at the school, so I was whispering. Um, But I was so excited. I wanted to tell her, but I was studying for a final um, (laughs) before the semester ended. And I was like, hey, mom, I'm going to ride my bike from Alaska to Florida. (laughs) She goes, no, the hell you're not. (laughs) I was like, I thought thought people were going to hear screaming through the phone at me. (laughs) <laughs> but funny enough, I know yesterday was Mother's Day, and I have to give her credit for for uh, encouraging me to do it, just because um, I had gone to that school to play basketball at that college, and where I met that friend, um, who was still my very best friend, Paul, and we still do crazy things together, and all that was from, uh, I shared the story yesterday with some people and on, and on and online, but um, when I was 14... I tried out for a basketball team and I didn't make it. Um, but they had this like a uh, summer camp you could go to. So I went to that and r- hated it. Absolutely hated it. Little did I know I was playing with like future D one athletes and, and professional athletes. So I was just getting destroyed and, and humiliated every practice. <laughs> also scared to death of the coach, but my mother would not let me quit. No, I, I literally was crying to her, begging her week, you know, after a week in this camp, please let me quit. This is awful. And she just told me like, once you start something, you are not allowed to quit. And uh, ended up falling in love with the game, getting a lot better, playing in college and meeting the person that would be my best friend that led me into, helped lead me into all this adventure and quite possibly sitting here talking to you today. Yeah. So shout out to my mom for for Mother's Day. Thank you, mom. There you go. That's awesome. You know, it's funny how you trace back through your life and you say, how did I end up where I am today? And there are those those moments in time that change us, that shape us. Mm -hmm. And and it's kind of funny because I'll bet that when you were 14 at this uh, basketball camp that you had no idea that someday you would be helping to run an outdoor gear company and that you would be climbing mountains and, and distance biking all over the United States and doing all that kind of fun stuff probably wasn't even on your radar. No. Well, obviously I didn't even know it existed when I got the idea to do it in the first place. So, <laughs> yeah, I had no clue at 14 that anything like that was real. That's funny. Paul just messaged me right now. Um, so yeah, we're still very much, it's very much, yeah, it's, it's crazy. I had a, I had a guy tell me one time, you know, there's three to six, 
ish for most people, like pivotal moments they can remember where deciding one way or another changes a lot of different things for you that you can trace back um, when you're looking at it in hindsight. And that would be one of them. That would definitely be one of them in my life. And I just really appreciate her having the hind, the foresight to say, this is going to affect you. You are as a person. If I let you do this now. Um, so I just can't thank her enough. Mm, yeah. You know, I'll throw one out about my mom too. In honor of, uh, in honor of mother's day. Now mother's day mm-hmm. was yesterday and the show won't come out for a week yeah. or two. So we're a little bit yeah, behind I for the listeners, <laughs> you know, but that's okay. Um, they they deserve it. Absolutely. Whenever I wanted to go do something adventurous, my mom would always just say, yeah, go for it. And yeah. she created in me a, a sense of independence, a, a can-do, you know, well, go try something out. And now as a parent, I look back and I go, wow. I mean, I used to get up at daybreak and jump on my motorcycle down in the sticks mm-hmm. of Oklahoma. And I would take off and ride for six or eight hours. There wasn't such a thing as a cell phone, and there's no way my parents could find out where I was or what I was up to. But I would just take off and be gone, you know, and I would come home, and I wasn't in trouble for that. That was the expectation. Yeah, man, go have some fun. What are you doing? (laughs) And I remember when I was really little, I was probably three, and uh, I was playing on the edge of a lake, and there Uh I was on a little rock shelf, and then it just dropped off. And I mean, it was deep, right? And I was too young. I didn't know how to swim. Oh, man. But what I didn't realize is that I had on a, a life vest, of course. My mom's not going to risk my life, right? But right, I remember right. I fell off the ledge, and I couldn't touch bottom anymore. And I started calling, hey, help, 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 you know? And, and my mom stood on the shore and laughed and said, swim. You're okay. Swim. <laughs> and, wow. <laughs> I like it. Well, the funny thing was that here I am, you know, 40-some-odd years later, and I'm looking back on that as a pivotal moment. It's like, Wow. Take yeah. care of yourself. You can do this. You don't need someone to rescue you. You just need to figure it out. And wow. Anyway, that's where I am. So there you Dang, go. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> there you go. Just little did she know the the lesson that would teach you. Just a takes a good person, a good good decision maker, yeah. be a good parent, <laughs> and uh, decided right then. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Well, I'm going to tell our listeners to go back to episode 284 to hear the saga of how the trip went. Lots of surprises and, and ups and downs and and uh, all oh, that sort yeah. of thing on that first trip. So go back to 284 and listen, because you got to hear it. And it's a perfect example, Mason, of what happens to people when they try something new. And it, there's mm-hmm. so many surprises, but it, it's life expanding. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah it's, That's what the show's all about. We just want people to try stuff and get involved and get that community, get that physical health, get that inspiration. That's what we're here for. So, mm-hmm. 2,700-mile tour divide, 20,000 miles across the U.S. six times. The Colorado Trail Race, 540-mile race, which people do now in right around four days. <laughs> Insane. Yeah. Just crazy stuff that you ended up doing as a result of this first crazy idea back in college, right? Yeah, it all just kind of blossomed like a like a flower from that one idea. Well, I'll let everyone go back to the episode 284 so they can hear all about that. But let's dive into cool. what happened with the 14ers. So, first of all, set us up. What was the goal of this feat? 
you were trying to bike to and climb the 14ers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. That was uh, definitely one of the dumbest things I ever tried to do. <laughs> no, um, it was uh, it was awesome. But the whole goal was um, I'll be really frank with you. Uh, when I moved to Denver about three and a half years ago, immediately just kind of slumped in this really bad depression and I'd never experienced anything like it. Uh, didn't hardly have two bad days in a row as I tell people. Um, but just got, just had to go see someone and, uh, talk through it and work through it. And it was really, really difficult and something I just, I don't know, had no experience with and no, uh, and it just came really, really fast. Um, and once I was able to climb out of that, um, I just definitely had a compassion for folks going through uh, uh, just maybe unforeseen mental illnesses that crept up either from um, something triggered it or brain chemistry or, 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 or something that they could definitely associate it with. Um, that's not so uh, such a mystery as it was for me. Um, and wanted to raise money with uh, an awareness for, for something um, that had to do with that. So each of these trips that I've done in the past have always raised awareness and, and funds for, for some sort of cause. And uh, I always, and just to be clear, I always pay for my trips uh, myself. Um, now, if someone like wants to donate something to me because they hear about it, that's something else. But I always pay for trips and then raise money on the side. Um, it just makes the experience that much more rewarding. Oh, yeah. And that much more impactful. And there's nothing wrong with doing these trips just for the I, I've done plenty of them just for, you know, personal growth and personal insight. Um, but these big, big ones I like to try to do for other causes. But I let that happen naturally. I don't ever force it. And so this um, through that, I realized, wow, you know, this the whole experience, like anything difficult in life, was a lot like climbing a mountain or multiple mountains. I feel like every day was a mountain. And so why don't I just try to climb a mountain every day on a bike trip? And, uh, I got the inspiration from a couple guys that had done it the year, a couple years before and, um, decided I want to try to do it myself. And that, that is what you just said. Try to bike to and climb all the Colorado 14ers in one big epic trip. And, uh, compared to other trips, it was relatively, not relatively short, but, uh, on the shorter side, about 45, 40 to 45 days is what I gave myself and started at Calibra Peak. And I was going to make my way all the way to Long's Peak and connect all the peaks by bicycle and put it, put the bike at the trailhead and climb up the mountain, come down or do a series of mountains, then come down and continue on the bike. And I got through about a third of the miles and about a little over a quarter of the mountains before I got to the San Juan um, San Juan mountains where I, I had been having some trouble with one of my feet and my left knee, um, training for the trip. And it just kind of got destroyed on that. Uh, yeah. On that attempt, um, in the San Juan mountains on Handy's peak, I handy, let me think where it was. No, it was farther in. I think it was in the Chicago basin. There you go. Um, yeah, it was just, it was raining. It was a lot of, it was some granite I was hiking across. I just slipped and kind of just jarred my knee up against a rock. And so I come, came back down the mountain, kind of pedaled into Silverton and uh, rested it there a few days, but it was not 
getting any better. And yeah, and I come down to it. It was uh, just over overuse. And I had played a lot of basketball coming up to with training for the trip. And so uh, it was a combination of uh, like jumper's knee. I kind of some strained some ligaments around my patella. And uh, yeah, I've been trying to exercise it and recover it since. And it's still it's given me some issues. Um, even riding the bike will give me some uh, um, some pain. Yeah, I mean, if I, if I ride too hard, it's kind of funny. I had a, I don't know if it's to the same extent, but I had a similar industry where I strained some of the ligaments and tendons around my knee mountain biking in Moab. Yeah. And oh wow! So I waited a few weeks, and the pain kind of went away. And I jumped on my mountain bike and did a, I don't know, probably a eighteen mile ride, something like that. And uh, man, it blew up again. And I realized now I got to stay off of it for probably six weeks and then work into it carefully. So where uh-huh. are you in that process? Uh, yeah, I mean, my knee, I, I actually worked it out this morning. Um, just, just stretch. I'm really just doing a lot of stretches and a lot of body weight stuff. I'm not doing anything too hardcore, but after I got back, I thought it was doing better. So I went to play some basketball Uh-oh. and I was playing pretty hard for a couple of weeks and it was feeling all right. And then, all of a sudden I went up for, for a, a rebound and came back down and, uh, yeah, just landed weird and it was done. It just yeah. sharp pain shot up my knee and, uh, really sore the, the rest of the day in the next few days, but daily activities are, are fine, but anything over the top is kind of hurting, but thank God I can still hike. I've been hiking, um, a ton lately, uh, in Utah taking uh I, I mentioned that I, I like to take I take group trips um like week-long experiences into national parks with high school and corporate groups it's through this organization in town and uh we do a ton of hiking and so it hasn't bothered me at all with those so thankfully you know I can give you know basketball I'll miss but if I can't ever do that again uh, that's okay if I can still hike you know what I mean <laughs> right. I can still be outside be outdoors but I really hope to get back in the on the court one day too. So, <laughs> well, let's uh, let's rewind and dive into some details about this fourteen or attempt because uh, mm-hmm. it, it just sounds so cool. So, I don't know if everybody listening even knows what a fourteen or is. Most people do, yeah, because yeah, you know we true. talk about them a lot on our show. But for the new listeners, fourteeners yep. are peaks that are uh, fourteen thousand feet high, and in Colorado there are. Between 54 and 58, depending on how you count. And different people count different mm-hmm. ways. And uh, so that it, they're tough. They're tough peaks. And had you climbed, Mason, any uh, 14ers or how many had you done before you took off on this venture? <laughs> so before I did this trip, I think I have done three. Grays and Tories. Um, <laughs> yep. And uh, which one? Like- Sherman. Evans. <laughs> Evans. <laughs> now, Evans is a little bit more, you know, I knew it would be Grays and Tories because you already told us you're in Denver, and everyone in Denver that's done a couple went and did Grays and Tories. Um, yep. Or Sherman, yep. but you did Evans, which, of course, Evans is a lot bigger mountain, um, but really mm-hmm. rewarding. So what was your experience like the first time you went up? The first first 14-er? Yeah. I, I, yeah, I'll be honest. I... I I, I just love being out in the outdoors. If I can see, if I'm ever confined to a wheelchair or, or something like that, and I can just see a beautiful view, see the mountains, see the lakes, 
that's about all the reason I go out now anyway. Um, I just love the inspiration of, of the beauty of nature. Uh, but to, to climb a mountain is, has never really been the goal, but the experience of climbing a 14er does provide quite an amazing view. <laughs> I mean, to say the least. Right. Um, so that aspect of it is absolutely incredible. And I, I don't know, it, it's, uh, I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself someone that has to get to the top of everything, but it is different to be up top it, versus looking around it. It's a, it's a different kind of mindset and kind of journey. It's, it is a goal. So you feel extremely accomplished is what I'm trying to say once you get to the top of a 14er. Um, because most likely you are on the highest point around you unless there's another one close by, but it ain't going to be that much higher. No. You, are, you know what I mean? So you're, you're the scenery, the, the, the grandness of being on top is, is I'd say unparalleled. I think that what a lot of people don't really know until they try it is how hard the altitude can be to get mm. used to. Yeah. And on a 14 or I think probably the average distance I'm making this up, but Educated guess, seven or eight miles round trip. That's kind of the average distance of these yeah, hikes. That's what I would say too. And uh, but that seven or eight miles, I mean, that's nothing like being on a standard trail and covering seven or eight miles because the oh, amount of vertical no, feet no, and the no. elevation that you get up to, anything above tree line for me. And different people are different ways. But when I hit tree line, I know it. That's when the altitude starts to fight back. You know. So we're talking about mm, yeah. maybe 12,000 feet, anything above 12,000. I think it surprises people when they've not done it before. And of course, the more you do it, the easier it gets, the more accustomed to it you get, and the more rewarding it gets too. But uh, I don't know. Getting to the top, you know, you have a goal, and it, you, you alluded to that, but it's something about accomplishing this goal and then knowing that you're saving enough to get back down again, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But it's, it's different than just a hike, right? It definitely is because, you know, you get to the top and you're only halfway done, um, which is, you know, the hard part's over, but it's, uh, it's still really taxing on your body to go down. Oh yeah. Especially me, my knees, my knees are the wet supper. Um, and what's funny is, uh, a couple months ago I did the Grand Canyon down the river and back and, I'll be honest, I didn't like it as much just because you do the easy part first and then the hard parts last. So it's essentially an <laughs> inverted mountain. Right. And I'm like, oh, this is great going down. This is fun, beautiful. And then coming up, it's like, dang, come it. <laughs> what did I get myself into? But uh, I'm like, I'd rather do a mountain. You do the hard part first and you get the view and then you get to go down and still get to see it from from uh, from the bottom. But uh, yeah, it's it's a... It's a fascinating thing to, to focus on. I, I don't definitely don't focus too much on the stats or the speed and I'm not much of a runner, so I'm not into like definitely there for the for the for the like the life enriching side of it versus the like personal record or um, I don't know, even the achievement of it. It's more of the taking a break from society a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I it's just refreshing. Just yeah, it's so awesome to be out there, regardless. I'm with you, man. And you know what I started doing, um, boy, a long time ago. The 14ers are not crowded. People say, oh, they're crowded. Well, they, yeah, you might see a dozen people on one, or maybe a little bit more than that. But uh, they're, they're big mountains, you know. But that said, yeah, yeah. 
Um, I started climbing 13ers, Mason, because I like the oh, idea yeah. of not having the crowds. And if you're on a 13er, you may not see anybody, depending on which one you climb. Yeah. And then on top of that, a lot of and them don't even have a route. And it's just as good of an experience. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> yeah. What's oh 13.9 versus 14? You know, exactly. the, the last three minutes. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> and, and, so, and, you know, there's only, you know, 54 to 58 of those. You know how many 13ers there are in Colorado? You know what? I know I, I say it this way. Mountains above 13, which includes the 14ers, is over 700. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's about 650-ish between right. 13 and 13,999. So uh, that's a lot of mountains. <laughs> it is. That are... Probably that better just as good of an experience as a 14er. And I would say based on, you know, just like you just said, it's probably a better experience because you most likely will be out there alone, especially when it's not the easiest one to access. You, you can do the same thing twice in the outdoors. There's a crowd of people. It is a totally different experience for me. I don't know how it is for you. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that you can do the same thing twice and just when the weather is different or the season is different and have a completely mm-hmm. different experience too. So I've I've climbed a lot of the 14ers two or three times and every climb is different even though it's the same mountain. You know, you have a different experience. Yeah, absolutely. Dogs make the best partners for outdoor adventures. Good food keeps your dog happy and healthy for those big days. So feed your pets Canaday. Canaday is an independent and family-owned pet food company who uses the same care and the same quality ingredients they want for their own pets when making their pet foods. In keeping with their commitment to pets and their people, Canaday has taken the first steps at Canaday Farms to getting involved in growing the ingredients that they use. Go to Canaday.com podcast to try Canaday for free by requesting a free sample and you'll get other special offers too. That's C-A-N-I-D-A-E dot com slash podcast. Again, that's com slash podcast. Climbing some of these mountains is a big deal. It's not an easy thing. So when you say you're going to bike between the 14ers and you're going to climb them all back to back and try to get it done in 40 or 45 days, that's kind of like saying, I'm going to do a marathon and then I'm going to get on my bike, and I'm going to bike a long way. And the next day, I'm going to do another marathon. I'm going to get on my bike, and I'm going to do this for 40, 45 days. That's kind of what you set out for yourself, you realize. Yeah, without re- you know, without proper re- – I didn't bring a tent or anything. And I know there's a <laughs> lot of hardcore people on uh, uh, that listen to the show and have been on the show. And I don't want to act like I'm anything special. But, um, yeah, I remember quite a few nights just sleeping in the rain. Um, I've got a bivy over me and that's, and I'd lay a tarp on top of me. It's sometimes I got a really lightweight tarp that would, I'd just literally drape over my whole setup just to save weight. And, uh, it was totally miserable. Some of those (laughs) nights (laughs) it was freezing. Um, you're hungry. I, I get pretty emotional out there. I'm not going to lie. And it's just really like, it's soul cleansing. You know, you're, you're, you spend all year you know, working on things and suppressing certain feelings or meeting deadlines and you get out there and you can just kind of let go of all that yeah. for a little while. And maybe it's good. I'm not sure. I'm not a psychologist, but, uh, I look forward to that aspect of it. And you get out there and things are just, just things just suck <laughs> for sometimes. And then you get up the next morning and it's, and it's, there's a mist in the air and it's, uh, just, you 
you see this incredible waterfall or, or a herd of elk and a field of flowers with snow-capped mountains behind them and you think I'm going to be up there in just a few hours and it's just it's awesome it's literally awesome and it makes it all worth it you know yeah I agree I, I think it's 14er climbing backpacking mountain biking bike packing whatever gets you out there that's mm-hmm. what it's about for me and mm-hmm. I'm with you it's awesome so your first, you said you started with Calibra? Started with Calibra. And uh, yeah, I got in. I got pretty lucky with that permit there. Um, I won't get into the details how I got it, but I did a lot of begging and uh, <laughs> tried to contact everyone that had one, just saying, hey, you know, like, I would really love to start it here. And I just got, I got really lucky and uh, was able to, to get a permit for that. And um, that was an incredible experience because so few people were out there and it was towards the end of their season. And um, it's all on private land. It blew my mind that you can own a mountain, but I mean, it's land. So, but uh, it's just a cool, really cool experience doing that one compared to other 14ers that have roads that go up to tree line or, or, or or just easier uh, to be accessed. And this one was just really unique. It was really uh, stormy, not stormy, but rainy. It was raining, no lightning or thunder, um, but very misty, very totally unfamiliar to me, of course, but just a really cool way to start the trip and got down and biked straight to the um, Sangre de Cristo range, which I hadn't spent a whole lot of time in, but it was one of my favorite ranges to look at just from a distance because right. it's just such a picturesque mountain range. And I love, love national parks. So I've been to great sand dunes quite a few times and yeah, got to do Blanca and, and uh, what else? Ellingwood, and Little Bear and Lindsay and all those. And um, probably one of the coolest, most under underrated mountain ranges in Colorado. Obviously if you climb 14ers, you're pretty familiar with it, but there's just so few people down there and there's no ski resort. So it kind of keeps things pretty quiet. And I was thankful for that. Yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful mountain range. Just gorgeous, man. Here's a, here's a little lesser known fact for you about that mountain range. Immediately west of it is the San Luis Valley, right? Yep. That valley is the world's biggest caldera. It was the really? biggest volcanic eruption in the history of the planet, as far as we know. And so when you're really? looking, when you're up on those 14ers, say you're on Kit Carson, you look west across that vast valley, that's one volcano. No way. <laughs> Isn't that mind-blowing? Serious. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Holy cow. What was your favorite mountain? Oh, man. So I'm not a great climber. And in fact, I'm, yeah, I don't really climb a whole lot, but I love the mountains that aren't just completely, uh, that aren't a walk to the top, but rather have some interesting features and, and the kind of the perfect balance to me, which was just a lot of fun to, to climb was, uh, the Crestone needle and peak. Those were just a blast. Um, Crestone needle. It was almost like it was just such perfect, uh, rock that, uh, well, I, I, I was so familiar with the name, but I totally slipped my mind now. Um, 
it's like someone poured cement and then put all these river rocks in it, right? Where you want to put your hands and feet. It was like someone built a climbing gym out there. Yeah. And everything was just so solid and just perfect holds. And it was so much of the mountain that you didn't notice that you were hiking uh, that much. You didn't hike that much. You hiked up to a broken hand pass and a little ways up to the base of where you started climbing. And it was just so much fun, man. And you got to turn around when you get to the top and look at great sand dunes from above and get to see both sides of, uh, of the range because it's such a narrow range. And also, uh, you've heard of the climber, Tommy Caldwell. Yep. He's pretty, pretty huge name. Um, his dad, I just ran into him on the trail and we got to climb it together. Nice. So and it was just really fun. We got to hang out and exchange contact information and he got to tell me all about his son. And I lived in Yosemite when, uh, Tommy Caldwell, had done that uh the don's wall and uh you know that really epic uh climb up uh, that base of that side of el cap el capitan in yosemite and so i was pretty familiar with his son's achievements and just to run into him on the trail and hike it with him was a lot of fun he's a pretty old guy but had been up that mountain he goes last time i was here was 40 something years ago. So wow. I don't really remember where I'm going. So I'm like, all right, well, I got a GPS. So let's use this <laughs> to know exactly where we're going. It was really funny. Uh, he was just going to go from, go off memory, but, uh, it was, it was a lot of fun. So you, you can't really plan for those kinds of things beforehand. You can, but there's so many unexpected, uh, side adventures that come with anything like this. It's almost like, uh, putting, putting all the ingredients in a pot and seeing what's going to, what's, what you're going to make because you, you, you know where you're going to go, you know, the mountains you're going to climb, uh, you know, the routes you want to take for the most part, but you just have no idea the things that are going to happen throughout the day from, from being chased by dogs to running out of food to someone giving you food unexpectedly to finding a $20 bill on the ground or, or meeting <laughs> your new best friend. You just don't know what's going to happen. It's, it's so exciting because yeah. you go out with this idea of what it's going to be like, and it is just nothing like that to the point where, I mean, honestly, all of life is like that. I, I got married a few years ago. I, it, I had an idea what it was going to be. It ain't, it ain't that, but it's awesome. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I do, so. exactly. <laughs> you know, we could swap climbing stories for hours and we, someday we should just get together and do that. But, um, you're talking about the unexpected. So here's here's an unexpected for you. We were all right. on Pyramid, and we were climbing. We kept seeing all yep. these groups of people, and there were just two of us. You know, we we're make, making our way up the mountain, and we, we just thought, what, why are all these people with these groups? We started asking. Fun, come to find out, everybody up on the mountain had a climbing guide, except for us. Oh, wow. And we're like, oh, oh wow. well, this mountain must be a little bit more notorious than we knew, you know? And oh, while yeah. we were going up, we saw a guy fall, and he was on he was on a rope, and he fell. It would have been a death fall, but the guy the guide caught him. And here we are just free climbing oh, without a guide. Gosh. And we're like, whoa. So, you know, it's already a tense situation, and I'm thinking, man, this is quite the mountain. Yeah. And in my book, Pyramid is, it's, it's in the top three, probably, of challenging 14ers. But here's the point. Yeah. Mountain goats ran across the mountain ledges above us and triggered a rock slide. Oh, man. And so I, I was like, oh, that is man. something I never expected. That's the surprise of this story, is that on a mountain like that, you always think it's going to be other climbers or, 
or yourself making a mistake or, you know, those are the big dangers. Yeah. Never once thought that mountain goats could trigger a rock slide that could kill you. And luckily no one died. Gosh. But, you know, the rocks went crashing down beside us and we're like, dang, who would have thought that? You know, there's always a surprise. Hey. Like you said, the adventure is yeah. not what you plan for. It's what happens when you get out there. Yeah, I was just I was driving down I seventy a couple weeks ago, and there was a rock slide fell onto the interstate, and it was because of some mountain goats up there. There you go. <laughs> I saw them up on top, and they were just going along the ledge and knocked a bunch of rocks. I'm pretty small, but still, you know, it could have been huge. But yeah, I would not have thought of that. I didn't think about it out there really. I saw a lot, but yeah. Well, what was it like then after doing a fourteen or getting on the bike? That can't be easy. Oh man. Um, <laughs> it was a relief. You know, you're, you're, you've finished one or finished a handful or whatever one you're on and you keep going. Uh, I'm so much more comfortable on the bike. I felt safe. I'd done, you know, six cross country trips before that on, on this bike, part of them, probably half of them on this one mountain bike and just felt, felt right at home. So the, the cycling was not the difficult part. It was the getting off to, be exposed to the elements. Um, as I sit here in Denver, man, I look out at the mountains and obviously it's just a whole nother realm of existence up there. It's the weather's completely different. The air is, is thinner. The, the animals, the plants, everything is different. It feels like you enter this other realm really. And so it was always very intimidating because it was a pretty intense monsoon season. So it was almost always cloudy or getting ready to storm or, or, or snowy up there. It snowed a lot, even in um, August. But uh, yeah, so it was always intimidating going up to the top uh, in, in that weather. But a lot of the time, about half the time, yeah, probably half the time, it was really nice. So it was exciting. Um, but it is this, you feel like you're entering, I don't know, it's the same stress that gives me that I go into like a, a, a government building with almost. It's, it's, I'm not excited about that, but it's this this tension that's in the air. No, I get it. I get what you're saying. You know exactly. what I mean? It's like, okay, I'm about to walk through these doors. This is a this is this is just different. This is a yeah. different place. It's but not it is where exciting. I normally am, and I think not that Kansas. You're exactly right. You get up on those 14ers. I don't care who you are. Uh, a 14er is different than where you live because you don't live on a 14er. Yes. You know and. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the listeners who've never been on one of these, you often start in the forest, and as you go up, the, yep. the trees get thinner and smaller and tighter, and the air starts to cool. You get out of the forest. Now you're in a tundra. It's just like an Arctic tundra, but it's caused by the yep. elevation. The yep. wind starts howling. Sometimes you get to vast boulder fields, which are nothing but boulders the size of houses or cars that just go on for miles and miles. Yeah. You're scrambling over rock. And the weather just keeps getting colder and colder and colder. And then you finally yeah. get to the top, and the views are just amazing. But I don't know how many ecosystems a person goes through when they go from the bottom to the top of a 14er, but it's a bunch. Yeah. It just keeps changing, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, we, we are out of our element when we're up there. There's no way around it. You go up there, you're out of your element. Now, you might be someone who's done it a lot who says, no, I love it there, but it's not where you live, right? No, no, you're not... You're not forging a life up there. Um, it's life-giving and it's exciting. It's absolutely exhilarating. But part of that is because of this level of danger. You know what I mean? Yeah. A lot of them aren't exposed. A lot of the 14, probably 45 of them are pretty simple. But there are a lot that are you know, very exposed. And it's 
it's a rush. It's a thrill. And a lot of people get, get attached and addicted to that thrill. And that's what enriches them. And it's, it's an awesome feeling, but it is, uh, go, I have to go in with a healthy amount of respect and, uh, and fear, even some, some healthy fear of the mountain, knowing that it's, it's, the weather here could just steamroll me at any point if oh, it yeah. decided to change. And, and I, there's really no way to predict what it's going to do, but it is, because of all that, it, it is awesome. It does fill you with this just amazing awe and, and inspiration. As I'm sure you know from listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast, some of the safest and best snow conditions for backcountry skiing of the whole year happen in the springtime. And Bentgate has the gear you need. Come check out the latest in Alpine Touring, Telemark, NTN, and Splitboarding gear. They have brands like Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, Technica Blizzard, Arcteryx, Mammoth, Solomon, Vole, Neversummer, Jones, and BCA. And you do need to be safe out there. Bentgate has the latest in avalanche safety gear. They have beacons, airbags, shovels, and probes, and they're ready to help you educate yourself on snow safety. They also rent out gear so you can get your skis and your boots there as well as your avalanche safety equipment. What's more, they also have free demo ski days at local resorts so you can try out the latest gear. Now, how much fun does that sound? So swing by Bentgate in Golden, Colorado, or go to bentgate.com to find your new gear, as well as to get updates on all of their events. Check out bikeparts.com for all your cycling gear. They have a wide selection of over 60,000 bike parts and accessories. You can find everything you need, including tires, chains, tools, frame bags, cycling apparel, and even complete bicycles. They've got established brands like Shimano, SRAM, and Campagnolo, as well as the latest and greatest products from brands like Wolftooth, Physic, Zip, and Raceface. Need suggestions or have a question about what fits your bike? Their knowledgeable staff will answer any questions and get you rolling as quickly as possible. If you're in the great state of Colorado, stop by their full-service bike shop, Peak Cycles in downtown Golden. Check out bikeparts.com. By starting in the south like you did, you ended mm -hmm. up doing some of the more challenging peaks first. Mm -hmm. uh, Crestone Needle, Crestone Peak, Little Bear, others down there. Uh, of the ones that you completed, which one do you think was the most attention-getting? Uh, honestly, ones that you wouldn't expect because of the weather. Um some of the traverses are, they're awesome, but really <laughs> scary. And I'm not a great climber. So I did one traverse in the Crestones. I'm trying to remember which one it was. And it was just, uh, it was really misty. The rock was kind of wet, not slippery, but wet. And you just didn't, couldn't see a whole lot. So it just felt very, uh, yeah, you just felt like you were just in some foreign land on Mars, even just trying to make your way to the next point. And I'm thinking, this is so different than my normal life. Like, will I ever get back to that? You know, you go through these weird thoughts while you're out there for hours and hours and, and mist is constantly blowing across your face. So it's really messing with your depth perception, messing with your balance even. And you think how you can never picture yourself back in your, your daily life or on your commute to work or uh, even back on the bike. Like it's just, so it was almost those mental games that became some of the most challenging. And definitely Little Bear was very challenging. It had just rained the night before. And I was going to attempt it the day before after I had done Ellingwood and Blanca and Lindsay. But um, 
I didn't want to do the traverse there. I wasn't too comfortable, but the weather started turning when I got up there. And so I had to come back down and that one was just a mind. Um, I was just really happy to get down, even though it was a <laughs> short hike. And that was the last one in that, in that area. So I was pretty much camped out at, at Como, Lake Como and, uh, which was stunning. Oh my gosh. I had heard about Lake Como so much, never been there. And it was awesome. Just an, just an awesome Alpine Lake, right at tree line, beautiful forest surrounding it, beautiful lake, wonderful mountain views. It's just, I could, I could live there, you know, wouldn't want to in the winter, but there was a nice little shack down there filled with supplies. It was like this rat infested little, <laughs> little, little shed. And I, I slept in there a couple nights. It was great. <laughs> nice. Well, Mason, I got to ask now, because when I interviewed you last time, uh, you had fallen completely in love with Yosemite. Oh, yeah. And I remember oh, you were just like, oh, Yosemite, Yosemite. And I agree with you. Yosemite is that awesome. But now you spent some time in some of Colorado's most amazing places, too. And yeah. how would you compare and contrast that? Colorado is so vast. There's, you know, literally thousands upon thousands of mountains and crevices and canyons and places to explore that you'll never get to the end of. But Yosemite is so iconic. I, I, I'm just totally in love with the national parks. And I did a big bike trip through 30 national parks that was like 8,000 miles probably five years ago now. And that was just life-changing. I biked to, yeah, the 30-something, 30, 30 32 of the the big national parks out West, just in a big loop of the country. And, oh my gosh, it was just inspiring. And so part of where the parks came from was uh, Yosemite, John Muir being kind of one of the biggest uh, inspirations for the park service. And so just to hear the way he describes that place and uh, being there, I got to live there for about six months um, working there at one of the campgrounds after that bike trip and Man, Yosemite just has a piece of my heart, and it always will. Mm. And I try to get there as often as possible. And in fact, with a Camp Crate, that's where we send almost every one of our customers is to Yosemite. And so <laughs> I'm constantly researching trails and um, backpacking uh, routes there and uh, ways that people can enjoy it. It's just such an overwhelming landscape that is also extremely iconic for essentially starting a worldwide movement of governments and people of those governments protecting land. It's such a bizarre concept to literally take an area just to use for enjoyment, nothing else. Like you don't go out, you don't go out in the woods to profit. You don't go out the woods to nowadays, at least you don't really go out to the, the forest or the mountains to, to take anything away. Um, well, if you're hunting, of course, but still that's not the same as uh going out there to, to, to make a living. You're going out there to literally walk around on it and to experience it and to take pictures and to see it. That's all you're doing. It's but millions upon millions of people every year go to these places to just amazing to me. I don't know. I love it. So Yosemite is the reason for all that, in my opinion. So mm. yeah, <laughs> that's, that's good. You know, I think we could talk about what we've been talking about for another three hours real easily. But we'll sure, have to yeah. hit pause on the recorder because it's too long of a show. But let's talk about Camp Crate. I want to make sure that 
we get that in because what you're doing there is so cool. What is Camp Crate? Just give us a quick rundown. So Camp Crate is a, uh, a trip planning and gear rental service that will essentially, you contact us, we will completely plan out a backpacking experience for you and then send you all the gear you need in a box, in a crate. And uh, you open the crate, everything in there, uh, what you need besides clothes. And uh, there is an option for food that's coming out on our new website. Um, but yeah, use the gear, you send it back. So our slogan is rent, explore, return. And we kind of BSed around with it last summer, just put it up there and said, hey, let's see, let's see if this does anything. And I foolishly planned a 45-day bike trip right in the middle of the summer, which is right when backpacking season is. And despite kind of the poor planning and, and not taking it too serious, we it did okay. And so this summer, um, especially with some kind of recovering from an injury, and uh, my partner and I are really taking it serious, and we've seen some really good growth in what we're doing. And so what we offer now is fully inclusive backpacking trips, pre-planned, we'll send you itineraries, um, we'll send you all the gear, uh, everything you need, all the prep beforehand for like 300 bucks, we'll send you on these awesome trips to Yosemite or the Pacific Northwest or somewhere along the Appalachian Trail. And you really cannot experience a four-day trip with all that included, and plus our 24-7 support for that kind of price. So uh, yeah, if you're wanting to get into backpacking but don't know where to start, please give us a shout and we will we will send you on the trip of a lifetime. In fact, our first crate just got back. So we just started shipping. Obviously, you know, it's too early here in Colorado. I mean, you look out in the mountains, it's still still pretty good snow out there, but it's starting to, you know, it's season is getting ready to start. Um, in California, we were thankfully able to start around the 1st of May. And our first crate just got back. It was these two folks never been backpacking for their life. They said it was literally the best experience of their entire life. Uh, so much so that uh, he decided to propose on the trip, on the hike itself, on our <laughs> backpacking great. trip, which is just so awesome to be a part of. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> They're like, it's life changing for people. And I know how life changing the outdoors and, and experiencing adventure has been for me. And realizing that not everyone's just going to get a bike and fly one way to Alaska and, and, and get into it that way. Uh, Chad and I wanted to make it as feasible as possible for folks to, to try this thing that uh, we call adventure. You know, I'm going to break that down just a little bit and here's how. Okay. A good backpack, a really good backpack can cost $300. A really good sleeping bag can cost $300. Yeah. Um, the tent, yeah. Uh, you're not going to get a really good tent for $300. It, it's more like, four or $500. Absolutely. Uh, you see what I'm saying? You start mm -hmm. adding all this stuff up and people look at it and they say, well, I'd like to try backpacking, but I'm not going to go out and drop a thousand or $1,500 to go into the woods yeah. for a few days. There's got to be a better Absolutely. way. And that's where you guys come in. Yeah. And we've already done that for you. And so what, what we also offer, which I think is huge is, is this, the moral support. Like we're literally on call ready to text you. We, we're constantly keeping up with the people on the trail itself where they have service, of course, and saying, Hey, how's it going? Are you needing anything? What can we do for you? Um, how was your, you know, did you sleep warm enough? Like, you know, here, if you're not, here's some tricks you can do or 
So we, we noticed that for a lot of people, that is huge um, to like have someone behind them saying, hey, you can do this, doing great. And they get through it. You know, it's a challenge and they want to, you know, some people want to quit just like pretty much every bike trip. I want to quit at some point, but I'm thankful to have, you know, right when it's happening, I usually have someone in my ear saying, hey, you can keep going. And, uh, you know, we're not sending them to go climb Mount Everest, of course, but for a lot of people, this is a huge deal and it starts a journey for them that that uh that leads them to doing bigger and better things down the road so it's just awesome to be a part of that i love it yeah Yeah. i love it mason that's it's a great idea i think it's a a fantastic help to people and you know the adventure sports podcast is all about getting people out there to try things like this and you're making that much more accessible for for people to do it so man i'm behind that that's awesome stuff awesome stuff well, dude, we yeah. have burned through our time, but it's so much fun to catch up. <laughs> I can't with believe you. it. <laughs> what's on What's on the horizon? What kind of adventure seeds are growing in your psyche right now? Man, I'll tell you. Like, honestly, just growing this business is kind of the newest adventure. Um, nothing major as far as a, a, a trip, just because we're I'm totally out of time. This thing's growing, and uh, if anything was worthy of replacing. A, a big trip this year it would be something like this so i'm very happy to be able to to try build at least attempt to build a career uh but we'll see how it goes and honestly my knees still bothering me so i'm giving it a rest but uh, <laughs> right on well yeah, stay healthy but, man so that you can do it again and i i hope that you decide to try the 14er bike attempt again i think that would be epic to finish that, I think it would be, be so really, awesome. really, really, really cool. So, um, how do people find out more about Camp Crate? Uh, they can go to our website, Camp Crate. That's uh, I don't know if people are hearing it well, but it's C A M P C R A T E. So it's campcrate.net, or they can check us out at Camp Crate on Instagram. See what we're doing because uh, something to keep in mind is we sell we sell our gear at the end of the season. So we have awesome backpacking kits uh that are a lot cheaper than you get them for the store that have only been used you know a handful of times so it's a good way to to get some gear too at the end of the season right on well you might be uh hearing from me come what September, <laughs> october is that what we're talking about yeah so we're, we're we operate into october so probably around mid to the end of october is when we start looking at uh kind of what's worn out or what we don't want to send out anymore and in the backpacking season too. So that's a, I like a good deal and I like to give people good deals. So (laughs) a lot of joy comes from that. Right on. Well, Mason, thanks so much for coming on and sharing with us, man. It's always good to catch up. Yeah, Kurt. Thanks. I know it wasn't as many uh, stories this time, but uh, man, 45 minutes really gets sucked up when you're, when there's so much awesome things to talk about. Oh, I know. All right, man. Well, let's have you back on. I want to hear more about the 14ers and more about all the other adventures you've done. We'll have you back on at some point, but uh, let us know, okay. man, if there's anything that we can do to help support Camp Crate, because I really like what you're doing there. It's cool stuff. Well, hopefully we get to the point one day we can uh, advertise on here. <laughs> right on. <laughs> Might be a while. We're, we're pretty uh, thrifty and, and shoestring right now, but that's a, it's a fun stage to be in at the same time. Well, you bet. You bet. Well, hey, for all the listeners out there, you know, I think that Mason makes a perfect example of someone who just went out and tried something and then fell in love with it and it changed his life. And adventure sports can yeah. do that for you, you know? 
And Absolutely. I love your 14er concept. I think it would be awesome to, to go back and try it again. Maybe spread it out a little bit over a summer instead of doing it all in one trip. Who knows? But Well, everyone, you heard it from Mason. You know what it's all about. Until the next show, make sure that you get out there and have some fun. Thanks for tuning in to this episode with Mason Gravely and his updates on his tour to 14ers. Until the next time, be sure to swing by and visit us on patreon.com slash Podcast. If you become a patron of the show, you can be involved in our giveaways as well as all of the new content that we're going to put up behind the Patreon paywall. So we hope to see you there. We also want to give a big shout out to our most recent patron subscribers. That would be Will, Helena, Brenda, and Justin. Thanks, guys. And we hope to see the rest of you guys in Patreon. Now get out and have some fun.